business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's nine minutes past 12. Craig, thank you so much for introducing us like that. And Wayne, welcome back to High FM. Thank you very much, Avi. Great. It's so wonderful to have Wayne McCurry back with us. We haven't spoken to you for a while. Wayne, it's about halfway through the year, and we usually get an update from you as a just as a global look as to the economic outlook for both South Africa and what's happening around the world. Obviously, the hot topic right now is what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, the the wheat export, which is going to have a lot of put a lot of pressure um, on a lot of countries in that region. But last time we spoke, we basically said that the Russian-Ukraine war has been factored in. How's that panned out for the world economy over the last year? Avi, it has, it has in fact been as we spoke about. You know, it's astonishing how capitalism can make a plan when faced with adverse circumstances. So if we take the two factors that are tied in with the Ukrainian war, in other words, Russian gas and oil, and then food, obviously, I mean, Europeans now are paying less for gas than what they did pre the invasion because they've made a plan and sourced their gas from others, from other places and not Russia. So Russia is not holding them to ransom anymore. And we can see the oil price has fallen, uh, since the invasion. It's fallen quite dramatically. And food inflation is also going down. I know, I know there's a bit of a panic on the last day or two because Russia didn't renew the contract to allow the grain to go through the Crimean ports and through uh, the Dardanelles, etc. But that will also pass. I mean, Russia, it's a very, very difficult position that, they, that they're in now. Um, I don't think it's going to dramatically affect the grain exports. I mean, Ukraine said that they're going to uh, still export even though Russia hasn't signed to the deal. And I think there would be intense pressure on Russia if they had to go and sink a grain ship. Absolutely. You know, on its way to North Africa or wherever it's going to. So I, I don't think that will happen. So I don't think what's happening now over the last few days will have a lasting impact on food prices. But uh, just to come back to your question, the, the Ukraine-Russia war is already in, in the market. In fact, it's, it, it is quite honestly, it is almost a non-economic event nowadays. You know, obviously when it happened, it was a big economic event, but right now, when when we when we talk investments and when we go and see other people about investments, it's it's not even mentioned anymore. And all the literature I see, you know, it, it's now a political event. It's no longer an an economic event. You know, when just on that note, um, you know, the the sanctions against Russia came fast and furious, <clears throat> and all the research that I've done and everything that I've seen to have looked at. It's almost as if the Russians just hopped off one boat and hopped onto another one and sort of made a plan, changed brands, brought other companies in. Have the sanctions really affected the Russian population day to day? You know, you don't just carry on with life as per normal when you get taken with these sanctions. It's a, it's a, actually the most 
you know, arduous sanctions that have ever been imposed. They're, they're far worse than the sanctions that were imposed during the apartheid years. Now, you can get away with your economy can survive, for want of a better word, for a sustained time period, but it can't do it indefinitely. And the biggest single thing is is capital. You know, when you excluded from the world's capital markets, you just got to have one thing that goes wrong and you can't access capital and then you sink. But, yeah, as I said, it's not really an, a, a, a financial economic event anymore. Well, let's take a step back and look at things globally. Um, South Africans have really had a, a bit of a challenge when it comes to, to investing, when they're investing locally. It's just that been very moot returns up until the beginning of 2023. We came through Corona, we had a correction, but we seem to have really gained a bit of traction in the beginning of 2023. Is there yes. a bit of a dead cat bounce or are we looking no. at something substantial? No, it's something different. You must remember, when you when you look at the Johannesburg All Share Index, it's got very little to do with South Africa. You know, forty percent of the index is mining companies, so they might have mines in South Africa. Very few, by the way. It's only really platinum mines left left here. So when you look at all and 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 gold, but when you look at all the uh, mining houses, you know, they but the overwhelming majority of their assets are outside South Africa, and even for the ones in South Africa. The dollar price of what they sell is far more important than domestic economic considerations. So 40% of the market has got almost nothing to do with South Africa. Then the big international companies, Richmond, Naspers, Process, that's another 30% of the market that's got nothing to do with South Africa. So 70 to 75% of our market doesn't relate or or is not affected by the South African economy. It's only about 20 or 25%, which is dominated by the banks and the retailers that are truly South African shares. So, you know, the, the all share index going up and down is far more tied in with what um, is happening in global markets and global economic events than what's happening in South Africa. So it's actually a misnomer. It shouldn't be called the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. It's just based in Johannesburg. It's actually a... Very much an international market, driven more so by international events than domestic events. So, so far this year, the big run, well, not, not big run, but the run we've had this year, driven by, call it three factors. Gold shares ran very strongly, even though they've come off. They ran very strongly the first couple of months of the year. Then there's two other factors. One is Richmond up until yesterday. You know, Richmond was up 40 odd percent up until yesterday. And that's a major share in our index. And then NASPAS and Process also had enormous runs up 20, 25%. And those four factors is really all the return on the market. The banking shares didn't do badly up about 5%, but then the retailers are down 15, 20 odd percent. So let's say the South African component of the JSE was down probably 10%. But then the international component was up enormously. Uh, there was one other negative. The platinum shares were down about 30% for this year. So that's really the summary of the of the all share so far this year. Have South African internal factors had a much of a, a bearing on it? Um, yes. Talk about the higher interest rates, the supply of water, electricity, et cetera, et cetera. Look, Obviously, we all know Eskom and Eskom's challenges and all of that. Surprisingly enough, 
the load shedding since the beginning of June has been substantially less than what it was in, in May. So May was truly the killer month where we had stage six permanently, as we all know. But so far since the beginning of June, I mean, we did go to stage six once or twice, but it's been nothing like it was in April stroke May. But everyone knows ESCOM. I mean, this is not new news. It's been around for 15 years. The, ex, the, the really terrible load shedding started in December. So that's not news either. Water shortages. Obviously, water and water infrastructure is yet another challenge in South Africa. But lucky enough, there's not one supplier of water. So, you know, even though you will have water shortages, it's never going to be an Eskom where there's a threat of the grid collapsing of the, you know, what whatsoever. And then just recently in the last week or so, Rand Water replaced one of their major, major pipes. And that's caused shortages for three or four days. So I don't think the water shortages is that much of a factor for the country as a whole. Obviously, there can be localized issues. So everyone knows Eskom and the water shortages. High interest rates, it's a global phenomenon. In fact, if you think about it, in South Africa, our interest rates have gone up 5%. In America, they've gone up five times, you know, 500%. Right. So, so... Overseas, the, the increase in interest rates in America, the UK, and Europe, of an incredibly low base, was far more pronounced than what we've had here in South Africa. So in South Africa, I mean, I might be wrong here, I just can't remember. If you got a mortgage bond, your installment's gone up by 30% odd. So if you were paying 10, you're now paying 13 a month. In the UK, now they're slightly different, and the USA, they're slightly different in that they've got fixed-term mortgages, we don't know that in South Africa, and I don't know why, but we don't know fixed-term mortgages in South Africa. But in the UK and the US, if your mortgage comes up for renewal, you're going to pay three times more than what you did previously, not 30% more, 300% more. You know, so the, the effect of higher interest rates is far more pronounced than what we see uh, in South Africa. But, you know, during a period of higher interest rates, economic growth does slow down. And I know I'm often accused by many people of being far too optimistic, and I and I realize that. Um, I'm well aware of that. But if you think that we've got Eskom, we've got water, we've got incredibly high interest rates, we've got a commodity down cycle, we had the RAND collapsing, we had Lady R, we had all of the many and varied problems that the set South Africa, we haven't gone into a recession, which I actually find quite astonishing. You know, normally when you get a period of higher interest rates uh, like we've had, the economy will slow down and actually go into a recession, even if it's short-lived. So there's some, and where it comes from, I don't know necessarily, but there's some overall resilience in our economies that we have been battered from the left and the right and the top and the bottom and you know, what else could go wrong? And we haven't, haven't actually gone into a recession yet. I mean, economic growth this year will be terrible at zero. But, you know, uh, I suppose you could say maybe it should have been minus two, given all these circumstances. It's not at zero. So, and when you, I'm a great believer in, in cycles. And in fact, all of my experience with, um, with markets and everything is that, by and large, every single thing is cyclical. 
There are very, very few structural changes. And if we just view it on a cyclical basis, we're in a global economic downturn. Chinese growth disappointed last week or earlier on this week. Uh, we're in a commodity cycle downturn. The price of platinum and palladium and olive and coal and uh, iron ore is halved. So we and we've had all of our political stuff, Eskom and water, as we've spoken about, and the Lady R and this whole lot. We are probably at the bottom of the cycle. We'll see this week whether we get another quarter percent increase in interest rates, but it doesn't matter. We are at or near the top of interest rates. Hopefully the private sector comes to the party with Eskom and in two years' time we've got no more load shedding and the commodity cycle picks up and global interest rates fall. The point of this is we're at the bottom of the cycle. The next move is up. The next move in the cycle is actually positive for South Africa, positive for the RAND, positive for our economic growth. So whenever you view current circumstances, you must always try and view it in relation to where we are in the cycle rather than to say current circumstances will just perpetuate forever. Wayne, thank you. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, what I want to understand is just the relationship between the interest rate increase and inflation, if there is indeed one in South Africa at the moment. Let's take sure. a quick break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Wayne, coming back to South Africa and increasing interest rates, you know, on the one hand, we always say this, there seems to be this notion that interest rates increases are a negative thing. On the other hand, they're a very positive thing for fixed deposits, risk-free returns. It's very nice to have your money sitting there because you're just getting returns that are far superior to anything you could get anywhere in the world. The rand doesn't swing like a pendulum like it did 20, 30 years ago. It moves within a range between the dollar and the pound. And uh, increasing interest rates might be a very positive thing for the country. Yeah, look, it's not whether it's not per se increasing or decreasing interest rates that's that is good or bad. Um, it's interest rates relative to inflation because ultimately, if you run interest rates below inflation, so-called negative real interest rates, you get spiraling spiraling inflation, and everything collapses, as we've seen in. Argentina and Zimbabwe and, and many, many, Turkey, many other countries. But overall, as long as inflation's under control, you can cut interest rates and lower interest rates ultimately benefit the economy as a whole. I know it's prejudicial against people owning fixed deposits, etc., and having cash in the bank, but ultimately we're driven on credit. And if the cost of credit is less, as long as it's not less than inflation, if the cost of credit falls, Businesses expand, people borrow money, they buy cars, they buy houses, they buy uh, consumables, they buy all sorts of things. So ultimately, lower lower interest rates is better for your economy than higher interest rates uh, because, as I've said, capitalism works on credit. You know, it, 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 it can't survive, quite frankly, without credit. So lower interest rates ultimately are better for the economy as long as they don't fall below the inflation rate. Because as you've seen, as I've spoken about in a few examples, initially it's a great boost to the economy when people cut interest rates in a high inflationary environment because people just borrow and spend because the logic is there. If you can borrow money at 10% 
and inflation is 20, you borrow now because in a year's time what you want to do buy is 20% more, but your interest bill is only 10. So it, it initially boots the economy enormously, but eventually it just spirals completely and utterly out of control. So, you know, the many faults that South Africa has got, one thing we haven't got is a reserve bank that doesn't know what they're doing. We have an extremely competent reserve bank. They are completely independent. They, they, they do the right thing no matter what the cost, no matter what the political implications, no matter what it was to, does to job creation, et cetera, et cetera. They do the right thing, and thank goodness for that. No, that's really something that's so, so important. If we can keep the Reserve Bank and the judiciary independent, then those are the, you know, the foundations of democracy. And it always allows us to go forward and build on that, regardless of the the headwinds that we're facing. Wayne, just some questions that are coming in. Um, A very interesting question that's just come through now. My financial advisor is really pushing me to buy an investment that is completely offshore. In other words, my rands leave South Africa and go out of the country. If South Africa is going through a dip and we hope it will recover, does it not make sense to keep all my money here and wait for that recovery? Yes, that is entirely correct. Of course, you know, I'm just guessing the future. Everyone's guessing the future. But if my guesses are right, we could get a rand, I don't know, 1650 quite, quite easily, to be honest, over the next two years, let's say, two to three years, we could get the rand strengthening. That's the time to go overseas, not now. Of course, we are all human. So when the rand collapses and goes to 20, all you want to do is take your money overseas straight away because right. you just want to throw in the towel, essentially. So that's entirely the wrong thing to do. Um, right now, in my view, to take money overseas is incorrect. But this, once again, is a cyclical thing. If the RAND goes to 1650 or wherever, I mean, I saw a forecast yesterday, it's going to go to 14. Which, by the way, it has done before. The last time we had a RAND collapse in 2015, the RAND got up to, I think it was 18. You know, the next stop was 1420 or something. So, but to, to answer the question of global investment, the answer is yes, you must have Probably the majority of your money. Let's let's exclude your house for the moment. Okay. Let's not put that in. Let's let's call it investable money. You you should probably have the majority of that money exposed to non-South African assets. Now that means you've got to go overseas. Eh? There are plenty, as we spoke about earlier on. There are plenty of non-South African assets listed on our JSE. You can buy many, many linked instruments here in South Africa that are linked to the S&P 500 or linked to the dollar without the money leaving the country. So there's, there's this, I often, I often get this perception that to get your, to have non-South African exposure, you've got to physically take your money overseas. That's not quite true. There's a lot of non-South African exposure here. So over time, you must have, and I don't know the number, but it's probably 80%, if not more, of your disposable investment, not disposable, your your uh, investable universe X fixed property in South Africa exposed to non-South African assets because South African assets are incredibly small in the bigger scheme of things. You know, right. South assets are 20% of our stock market and our stock market is one of the smallest stock markets in the world. So you must have your money exposed to 
as as with most people, uh, you know, to a very wide variety of assets. Now, obviously, you can take money overseas and get exposure, but I think the next winning asset class is actually mining shares, and you can buy mining shares here on a two- to three-year view, especially the platinum shares, without taking your money overseas. But to take money overseas now, I know the rand's below 18, and at least it's not 20 anymore. Um, wait, wait for the cycle to turn a little bit more in our favor now, because as we've spoken about a few times now, right now we're at the bottom of the cycle. You know, things can't get any worse. And I often use that save that statement in presentations. If things can't get any worse, they probably won't get any worse. So they'll probably get a little bit better. But no, don't take money overseas now. You'll be doing yourself a disservice. Everyone who panicked in 2002, 2008, 2015, those were the previous periods of RAND collapses. They regret that decision, you know, because it takes you years to actually recoup it. You know, Wayne, it's it's so interesting that you say this because um, if you look at the platinum shares on the whole, um, a company like um, Northern has really yeah. been all over the show, and yet it's such a solid company, yeah. brilliantly run, well-managed, sinking new shops. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. Things. I mean, Anglo-American Platinum's fallen was a 2,400 to 900, something like that. You know, it's halved. Um, in fact, I think we went to 8.30 last week or the week before. It's up now at about 9.40. I mean, this is truly good value over time. We saw their trading statement came out yesterday, and earnings are going to fall 70%, but that's the cycle. And, in fact, on the platinum shares, the market has actually priced them, I think, extremely well for the cycle because Anglo-Americans' historic price-earnings ratio is three. Now, normally, when a price-earnings ratio gets to three, either the company is going bankrupt or it's an absolute steal. But the market's right because earnings are falling 70%, so the the actual price-earnings ratio is seven or eight. It's not three. So in other words, I think the market is this cycle around has actually priced the, priced the mining shares correctly. But there's big upside on all mining shares, but I specifically like the platinum shares at these prices. Wayne, we're running out of time and questions are coming in thick and furious, but one's just really tickled my interest because I happen to be personally invested there. What on earth is going on with Tungela Resources? It's a, it's a cycle. It's an economic cycle. It's very normal. Tongela ran up like crazy. Yes. Um, until higher interest rates started to bite on economic growth. And now it's fallen because the coal price has fallen. So Tongela is the same as any other mining company. Uh, it's at the bottom of the cycle. Now we're going through a commodity down cycle and the next two or three years, lower interest rates worldwide on the back of lower inflation, et cetera, et cetera. We should see a revival in commodity shares. So I wouldn't sell now. I would hold on a little bit. Remember, coal has got a limited life to it. You know, it's not yes. going to be around in 30 years' time. But 30 years is such an incredibly long time horizon. I think it, along with all commodity shares except gold, will actually show a bit of an upcycle over the next two to three years. And, you know, don't sell out now. Sit with it. When talking about love stories, um there have been many darlings in the markets that over the last couple of years have vaporized, have almost disappeared. Um, 
There's one that I keep looking at, um, and that's one of the big banking shares, a banking share like Standard Bank. Standard Bank is one of those that's just absolutely rock solid, but it seems to have these movements from time to time. Is that just the way banking is cyclical or the the way it moves, um, or is there something to be concerned about? No, there's nothing to be concerned about the Standard Bank. I think the shares, along with all the other banks except Capitec, actually look very good value as well at these levels. I mean, you're getting them. First Rand's a bit of an exception, and and maybe justifiably so, but I can't really talk too much about that because I work for First Rand. But the other the other major banks with the exclusion of Capitec, you know, they're all sitting at 7%, 8% dividend yields, and the dividend's not under threat at all. So I think the banking shares so, show decent value. As I said, Capitec, I don't think's fallen enough yet. I think there was too much hype in their share price. There's nothing wrong with the company, but there was just too much hype in the share price. But the other banking shares show very reasonable value. Um, on that note, we're talking about Capitec, uh, the other new kid on the block, Discovery. And um, the share seems to have recovered quite nicely. The bank, yes. the bank really putting the, 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 the total group under pressure, but the numbers yes. seem to be coming in. How do you see the future for that? Look, I, if I, I, and I know Adrian quite well and I've known him for many, many, many years. I wouldn't have started a bank. It's a highly competitive environment with entrenched players there with enormous balance sheets. The, the, the bank is draining cash out of, out of this discovery. What I'll ever be in my life that he's made out, but the amount of money, free cash that's been put into the bank is astonishingly large, and that's why you don't get a dividend yield out of Discovery, is because they're using the cash for other business ventures, but essentially for the for the bank. The other products that they've got, the other lines that they've got, is there. They are you know astoundingly good businesses, but the bank, you know, it hasn't shown. Big profits yet. Hopefully it will into the future, but it's draining a lot of cash out of this discovery. And personally, and this is not a reflection on discovery at all. I like cash. When I evaluate a company and I understand companies are cyclical like mining shares, et cetera, et cetera. But I like a company that pays you a fat dividend. You know, gives you, gives you as a shareholder the money back in the form of dividends. So I'm always Cautious when it comes to companies with very, very low dividend yields. In other words, companies that generate a lot of profit, but because of reinvesting that money, uh, you don't get it back as a dividend. And as, you know, as I said, as I said a couple of times now, I personally like dividends because there's plenty of accounting entries you can make. There's plenty of things you can do. But you, you cannot ever substitute anything for cash in the bank or, or more correctly, cash in the shareholders pockets. Wayne, as always, sorry, we are out of time. I could talk to you for the rest of the afternoon, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a thank pleasure. You for your generosity of spirit. Everything of the best and we'll speak to you shortly. Thanks, Avi. Cheers. Great. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will speak to you next week.